Hey, chaps, happy Thursday. Praise God. What a time to be alive. So had a really great morning meandering down to uh, the Ohio River. A beautiful, clear, aquatic marine sanctuary full of freshwater dolphins and water so sparklingly pure you could cup it to your own mouth and drink. If only that were true. So I uh, had a nice little uh, trip to go and see uh, a friend of my wife's and then pick up our Azure bulk order. And uh, it was really nice. We, we uh, stopped in a little town called Madison, Indiana, which is on the Ohio River, looking across the bank at Kentucky. And they've got a, a bridge, obviously, when, when it was still the old, before the highways and everything. And um, just a beautiful little town. And it, it's that whole thing. I don't know how many of you guys follow Wrath of Nyan, Wrath of Non. How do you say that word? Uh, on Twitter. But he's big into um, architecture, new urbanism, localism, that kind of vibe. But he talks about how cities are defined by a wall or defined by a barrier. And when they just sprawl, uh, you lose, you lose this, uh, it dilutes the, the feeling of, of beauty and, and all that. And so, um, so Madison, Indiana, it's on the river. So that's one wall and it's got these higher, high bluff hills. Bluffs is, is what we call them in, in South Africa, but, but, but like really steep hills. And so the town is between these, these hills and the river. And so it's like, it really is got its own walls. And this town is beautiful, brick buildings, trees on the, on the streets, a, a wonderful uh, main street. And I think there's no highway that goes through there. So, so that as well is a, is a, an added, um, you know, barrier to this crazy, just urban sprawl. So a really beautiful old town, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and then went to go pick up our Azure order, which is our organic uh, bulk foods that we, we buy from. And uh, the driver of the truck he starts talking to me. I'm like, wait a minute, this old guy's South African, maybe Rhodesian. Thought I thought maybe Rhodesian. So I'm like, where are you from? And he's like, Africa. And I was like, I'm from Africa. Where in Africa? And he's like, uh, Petra Teef, which is in the same, uh, it's like two, three hours away from where I grew up. So I was like, no way. So we ended up chatting for like 10 minutes. Um, and he came out to the States uh, back in 1991 and um, married an American girl and they, uh, they have a, a farm down in Missouri and uh, live among the Amish. And it was just great. It was like such a cool, such a cool conversation, you know, just like, wow, like this is so cool. So first thing I wanted to, uh, to chat about, one of the guys um, messaged me and, and was just talking about, uh, you know, moving to a new a little town and getting involved in church. Um, but how, how to go about wife hunting especially for guys in the church, especially for guys who are, you know, perhaps socially introverted. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a, a hard thing for us as Christian nice guys, you know, we're taught to, uh, serve the woman rather than our mission. And the women are all served to go on mission rather than serve, you know, so we have this crazy messed up dynamic that we're fighting against our nature is fighting against the way god designed us is fighting against um but so i just i just had three things on on my mind like number one confidence and abundance mindset you know so confidence uh is is what women are attracted to um a confident man confident men and so confidence is not this uh fake bravado it's not social bravado hey chaps it's it's I'm good at what I do. And so whether that's your hobbies, your job, uh, your passions, your work, whatever it is, are you good at what you do and do you know it? That's confidence. Like I'm good at what I do. That's confidence. And so it can be a quiet confidence. Um, if you're an extroverted guy, it can be a bravado, a loud confidence. That's fine. Uh, and with that, you know, not having to change, especially for the introverted guys, not having to change who you are to try and attract a woman. Because if you attract a woman by being this this loud party guy, it's not going to be the woman that you enjoy spending your life with. Be who you are and be confident about who you are and who God has made you to be. And then uh, with that was an abundance mindset, right? So I would get into this place when I was dating girls of like, 
is she the only, well, not like, is she the only one, but like, is this the best I'm going to get, you know? And so you, you, you spend your whole life, like afraid, like, Oh, should I, should I, shouldn't I? Should, oh, yeah. And it's like, guys, God just really ministered to me. It's amazing. Before I met my wife of like, you know, cause I was like, Oh, I'm in an R ring. Like, do you, you know, like, is there a girl out there, you know, like, do we have to go back, return to the ex-girlfriend, that kind of, you know, that whole poverty mindset of like, well, there's no one better. There's no one else. And I was like, no, no, no. Abundance mindset, right? When it comes to ladies, a lot of guys get into this victimhood of like, there's no virgin ladies out there. There's no girls of good character out there. There's no pretty girls anymore. And it's like, no, no, chaps, they're out there. There's a lot of them. And so start understanding that abundance mindset of like, God wants me to have a great marriage, uh, which then leads into the next thing is, is SMV, our sexual market value, core values, our mission clarity, right? So there's a ton of, of great ladies out there. You want to clarify your own values. You want to clarify your own value. You know, what, what is my own value uh, so that I don't undersell myself? Right. A lot of Christian guys undersell themselves either through condemnation or through uh, just a bad appraisal of their own value. You know, especially for young guys in our 20s to 30s, we're at the lowest. We're the equivalent of like a 40 year old woman. We're at the lowest of our market value. You know, we're still on the upward trend, whereas girls in the in the young uh, in the teens and young 20s are at their highest value. And so you kind of. uh as a young guy, you don't want to get, sh you don't want to, you know, sell yourself short when you know, like, actually, I know where I'm going. I know what my mission is. I know what my values are. Now you can start um, appraising yourself correctly and um, understanding which ladies would suit my mission would be a help meet to my mission. Because that's the other thing, right? We get lied to by, by the pop culture of like, Christian man, you've got to serve your wife. Christian man, you're marrying your wife so that you can have a, a, a partnership together and you serve her mission. And it's like, no, no, no. Like she's my helpmeet. She helps my mission. We go together. That's our partnership is her helping me on my mission. And then me loving her. You know, it's this, it's this, it's this crazy inversion that we're constantly fighting. You know, a lot of guys are like, how can I serve my wife's mission? And it's like, okay, if you want to use that language, be confident and know your mission and go hard and she's going to come on board and her mission is to help you. Um, and then the other thing uh, there was, was mutuals and appropriate places. So your, your friends who are married, here's the key, your friends who are married, your colleagues, your church uh, people, your family who are married, all of their wives will have single friends. All of their wives will have younger single girls that they know. And so you want to tell them, hey, guys, I think my mission is going to be this. Here's my domain. My domain is, is governance or, or media or mission or, uh, or ministry or economy. You know, if you know what your domain is, you kind of have an idea. Even if you don't have an idea of like, look, here's kind of who I am and what I feel God is taking me towards. The type of girl that would suit that is what I'm looking for. You know, and a lot of guys are like, you know, you can go further with that. Like some guys are like, yeah, I don't mind if she slept around. I don't mind. Um, what her past is. Other guys are like, I prefer a virgin. I would like a virtuous girl who's had a, a, a healthy home life. Um, other guys are like, you know, this is my type that I find beautiful. This is my type that I find beautiful. You want to tell your mutuals or you want to have a conversation around these things. So like, if you know anyone, I'm good to go. You know, that's the, that's a really great, great uh, way to look at it. And then appropriate places. You know, if you're looking for a, a, a girl who's, who's going to help. Here's a great, a great template to look at. My wife and I, you know, we talk about the masculine uh, archetypes in the social sexual hierarchy, the, um, the King, the Bravo, the Delta and the Sigma. There's four corresponding uh, female archetypes, right? The important, you know, think of someone like Melania, the important, these are the girls who everywhere they go, they are the most important girl. They're the princess, right? The, the princess archetype. Uh, some guys are repulsed by that. Some guys love that. Their strengths are political skill, status uh, protection, uh, high pressure uh, public life demands. Like a lot of public facing guys want a princessy, important type wife. Uh, there's the popular, 
Now, this is the girl who makes friends with everybody, is great at hosting, is great at uh, gathering people, you know, will put on a party, will put on an event, will know the whole town. Everyone tells her everything. That's the popular, right? And if you are, are a very sociable guy, if you love hanging out with all your friends and you've got a huge social life, you want to marry a popular, right? Because, oh, two social groups? Oh, you know, that's the type of girl you want. And then there's the, the busy. This is the, the girl who's got a ton of different projects going on, is always working, has always got to be doing something. Like, I, no rest for the wicked, I'm doing stuff. Do, 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 serve, 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 work, work, work. And a lot of deltas like the busy, right? Because they're like, I'm working, you handle your stuff, perfect. And I was like, okay, and that's perfect. You know, so, so that's the busy. And they're very competent at managing your household, managing your affairs, managing your uh, details, right? And then there's the resilient. The resilient is the girl who's um, going to be very flexible, very uh, able to withstand your ups and downs and your, your rejections and your, you know, so a lot of guys who have a high pressure uh, or a high conflict or a high, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Volatile life uh, will want a resilient because they're going to be happy to come along for the ride and see it all as a big adventure and not get flustered and not get uh, down in the dumps when your life is all over the place. So those are the four kind of archetypes of ladies, you know, so you can be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a hugely sociable guy. I need a popular or like, no, I'm, I'm going hard. I'm political. I've got a lot of things that I'm managing and am building and growing my empire. I need a, I need an important, uh, who can, you know, pick whatever, whatever it is to you. So tell your mutuals that, and then appropriate place. Where does someone like that go? You know, if you want a busy, go to the grocery store, right? Go to the church nursery. If you want a, um, a popular, you know, go to, to, uh, parties, go to events, like who planned the event, <laughs> probably a popular, you know, that kind of, of vibe. Where is an appropriate place where these girls would be? So that was my little thing on there. Let's hit some comments. DVG. Hey brother, you talked about Hannah's choice to offer up Samuel to the church and in essence, a weak priest in Eli. Yeah, because Eli, Eli never disciplined his sons. So his two sons were just absolute dog shows. So a weak priest in Eli. Looking back on my own history, I'm wondering whether my mother made the same choice. The church has spent decades talking about the father wound, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, etc. But what if Hannah's choice was a mother wound? To keep us from being rough, uh, two wife men, Elkanah. Okay, talking about uh, Samuel's uh, dad being a rough man with two wives. Uh, so to keep us from being like them, like our fathers and grandfathers, Hannah sent her son to be purified in the church. Dude, that is deep. That is deep. You know, I think that's a that's a huge thing for a lot of, you know, for the feminine imperative. The feminine imperative again is control, is to dominate, is the the desire is to uh, sanitize and safe and secure. Uh, you know, whether where there are no oxen, the barn is clean. Where there are no men, the 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 church is clean. That, but by the strength of a man, by the strength of ox, uh, there is much gain. And so, so ladies like to reduce risk. They like to sanitize and, and safe safen. So I can see I can see what you're saying there. This is such a deep. Maybe we'll have to uh, do some some deep diving in this and and have a whole thing on it. But I can see I can see that where a lot of mothers, instead of instead of the roughness, the coarseness of, of the man in their life or, or, or likewise the lack of man. And, you know, if, if, if it was a, if it was an abusive man, if it was a, a an abandoning man, if it was a, a, an addicted man, whatever it was. And it's like, I want my little boy to grow up like the priest. I want my little, like, who's the safe man? Who's the safe man? It's the priest, you know? And, and because a lot of priests are very effeminate or, uh, non-confrontational, non-warring, non-kingly, non—you know—it's—it's a—it's a for a lot the trope, you know, is a safe man, a kind man, a gentle man. And it's like, okay, I want my son to grow up into his role, into his shadow. So, man, that is that is yeah, definitely, bro. So it's a good one. Wait a minute, 
in much the ways that we had to re-father ourselves, the same concept will need to be taken with a potential wife. Most women are quite egalitarian or feminist. It'll take a work of discipleship. Yeah, and we're never when no one tells us this, you know. So so I had to refather myself from effeminacy. You know, the frame we grew up in was effeminacy as men. And so we are having to, to refather ourselves. And likewise, our wives are growing up feminist. You know, like you know, like 50 years ago, you know, people would be like, well, America wasn't really Christian, they were just culturally Christian, you know. And it's it's that way for a lot of a lot of ladies now. It's they're not really feminists, they're just culturally feminists, right? That's women fill the container they are given, they are they are placed in. And right now, the container of culture is feminism. And so that's what they fill. And all of us guys, effeminate soy boys, we fill the container, right? Because we are we are acting the feminine role. And so we fill the container. And then we get married. And it's like, well, we never left the container. You know, we never, we never created our own container. We never created our own frame. We never created our own mission and vision. And like, this is where we're going. You now come into my frame. And so that is a, a huge part of marriage that both of my wife and I are learning is like, oh my gosh, you know, we, we had this pride that, you know, cause we got married at 25 and it's like, well, at 25, I'm a mature Christian man, you know, and my wife's like, I'm a mature Christian woman. And, you know, we come into marriage thinking like, this is it. We've made it. This is a success. Uh, we are these amazing people. And it's like, all right, now you start learning. You know, now marriage is a mirror, you know, your wife will show you to yourself. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm an effeminate man boy who needs to learn how to become a man. Um, and likewise for, for our, our wives, there's a lot of humility in repenting from feminism and uh, becoming feminine. Rob, never follow a man that follows a woman. Yeah. And that's our society, our society, you know, our, our tribe, uh, through the machinery of the church. Again, remember we, 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 the only thing we know of tribe is church. A lot of the times, you know, the guys are afraid of disappointing the woman or angering the woman, or, you know, if there's an upset woman and, and that's, you know, that's the mother wound, you know, that we, so we're talking about the father wound, the mother wound is upsetting we fear upsetting women, you know, or, or the mother got upset and abused us emotionally or abused us physically or whatever. And so there's this, this unwillingness on the part of a lot of men to uh, confront or discipline women. They just be like, well, we've got to just love them. Well, we've just got to humble ourselves and love them. And it's like, no, no, no. Like we discipline ourselves and we discipline our wives. We discipline ourselves and we discipline, we discipline men and we discipline women. You know, and there's this, uh, that's true egalitarianism, you know, <laughs> equal discipline. Um, because there is this lack um, of accountability to uh, what God has actually asked us, uh, you know, and this is where it gets offensive to a lot of men and women who are in the popular, in the, in the container, right? They've molded to the container. Um. But for, for a woman, how do, you, uh, how do you get married God's way? It's to treat your husband as Jesus. You know, and a lot of people will be like, oh, that is, that is heresy. That is terrible. And it's like, yeah, well, here's the next part is, is men. You need to treat, you need to treat, you need to be, you need to treat Jesus as your husband. And that's like, oh, that's pretty gay, bro. That's, yes, that's this, this gay stuff. You know, it's like, no, you need to understand that, that I, as a man, am the bride of Christ. And my wife is the bride of Christ to me. You know, there's this, a lot of women can't, they, they, they want to be all Christian ladies who obey the Lord. And it's like, but they can't even obey their own husband. It's that whole thing that like, you know, you, you love God who you cannot see, but you, you don't love the person you can see. And it's like, you obey Jesus you cannot see, but you won't obey your husband who you do see. You know, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's true what you say there. Wait a, wait a minute. Uh, oh, and Rob, sorry, that was answering you all. Never follow a man that follows a woman. Yeah. Rob, what is the best movie ever made? And why is it the man who would be king? 
I have an admission to make. I'm not a huge movie man. Do you recommend I watch it? I think that's an endorsement. I'll have to watch it. So movies, movies will be on the agenda of things we can critique and it will be the man who would be king. Yeah, that's a good one. So next thing, and, and we'll head into this with, with marriage as well, because this is both a marriage thing and a tribe thing. So I had a, I've had two guys now. One guy married to an Asian girl and, and one guy married to a black girl message me, you know, because obviously I hit I hit a lot on eth, ethnicity as a as a reality in our politics, as a reality in tribe. You know, and, and both of them ask, like, Scott, what, you know, in your in your tribe, where would a guy like myself, you know, are we invited? Are we invited to the tribe? Um, you know, because I have a Chinese wife or I have a, a, a black wife. And it's a really great, it's a really great question to ask, you know, because the meme, again, is either multiculti, multicultural worship of diversity or neo-Nazi, you know, skin and lampshades of everyone who's not part of the tribe. And both of those are um, flawed positions. And unfortunately, because our society lives in this position of multicultural worship, diversity, worship, multiculturalism, any guy who comes back to the center is now seen as the Nazi, is now seen as the, the lampshade, skin and lampshades guy. And so the position is, is honoring the host, you know, is does the, the alien, the, uh, the Pentateuch, the, the Old Testament, talks about how aliens become Jewish, how they integrate into the tribe. It's all about honoring the host, you know? So I, I talk about this a lot, but like I would gladly uh, seek asylum in an Afrikaans nation state, you know? And I would be go and same, I mean, I'm living it here in America. I am a, I am a, an alien resident in America right? I am here honoring the host, honoring the host culture, assimilating into the host culture. The moment I, and, and this is why I say, you know, especially with marriage, like it's, it's one of the acceptable forms of, of multicultural, multi-ethnicity, because what happens is I, I, you know, me meeting this, this South African guy today, it's like, oh my gosh, one of my guys, one of my guys, there's a, there's a built credibility. There's a built connection that I share with this man I, who I've never met and, and may, might never see again that, that I don't have with everybody else in my little town of 3000 people. So if you drop 10 South Africans, 20 South Africans in this little town of 3000, guess Guess who's hanging out together every every Saturday night? Guess who's going to church together? Probably starting a church. Guess who's got in-group language? Guess who's got in-group cultural references? And we we now we we enclave. We come together and we're like, yes, these stupid Americans, hey, they they can't cook a piece of meat to save their life. Yes, these stupid Americans driving on the wrong side of the road. Yes, these, you know, and and we just and we just enclave. And in fact, we've become even stronger South Africans because we're now starkly contrasted against the outside. Now we have an in-group, you know, and now we have an in-group. And so it's like, hey, we're all going to work together. We're all going to do business together. We're all going to buy bulk food together. That's what happens with immigration that does not honor the host. You know, so, so when I lived in Lexington in Kentucky, uh, there was a South African group on Facebook. There was like a South African group on Facebook with like, I don't know, thousands you know, because of the horse industry and, and all of that, thousands of South Africans in that Lexington area. I was like, you know, some other guy was like, hey, do you want me to invite you to the group? And I was like, no, thank you. I'm not here to carry on being a South African. I'm here to build my host uh, culture. I'm here to assimilate. And so here's the thing with, with multiracial marriage. Here's the thing with tribal, with tribalism. Race is very important to tribe, but it is not it is not exclusive of tribe, right? Honor of the race is. So so for instance, Japan, right? I'm very obviously not Japanese. 
And so if I go over there and honor the host and live there as an alien resident and honor them, that's they'll probably tolerate me. They'll be like, yep, this man is honorable. Uh, the next thing is becoming a Jew inwardly, right? Becoming Japanese inwardly. So I adopt Japanese language. I adopt Japanese custom. I adopt Japanese religion. I adopt Japanese values, right? To the best of my ability. And I embody the ideal Japanese mythos even more than the other Jap Japanese around me. Then people will tolerate me, right? However, I am not, I know that I am never going to be Japanese ethnically. I'm Japanese spiritually. So if 50% of the culture ends up being little white boys who've all become Japanese, it dilutes the Japanese tribe. They no longer are this unique God-made tribe of Japan. So race is important. You can have assimilation. You can have uh, honorable guests. But the moment you have enclaving, the moment you have uh, in-group within the host, it's like, chaps, you're not doing it right. You know, and that's where like this neo-Nazi position of like, guys, let's just pump the brakes. You know, there's a way, there's a way for us to be honest about race. There's a way for us to be honest about culture, you know? And so, so this is why I say race is not, it's not the be all and end all of tribe, but honor of race is, you know? So if you marry a, a Chinese girl and you come in, everyone will be, everyone will be pumped if she becomes a model, you know, if we're talking in Anglo culture, if she becomes a model Anglo, learns English, loves to, to, you know, uh, celebrate the, the English culture and all this stuff. And it's like, great. Everyone will be actually fascinated by her and honored by her. Like, wow, she loves us. She loves our culture. This is wonderful. But if she comes over and she despises Anglo culture and she refuses to learn the language, she refuses to socialize, she refuses to assimilate. It's like you are cutting yourself out of tribal belonging. You know, so, so that was just a, a fascinating thing, you know, and, and, and why this is a meme, lampshades and soap, skin lampshades is a meme, is because love of your own tribe, love of your own ethnos does not mean hatred of other people. It just means honesty, right? It means I like Anglos. I like majority Anglo culture. I like majority Anglo, not even majority Anglo. I like majority Anglo demographics. And any aliens who do come in as, as honored guests, honoring guests, are to keep Anglo culture, keep Anglo customs, keep our group. And it's like, yeah, we'll all get on like a house on fire, you know, because we, we're honest and we're honoring. So I thought that was a, a cool thing for, for us just to really talk through. You know, a lot of guys get like one of the two, like, well, we've just got to have civic nationalism. We've just got to worship diversity and multiculturalism and they can form their tribes and they can form their in-groups and they don't have to uh, assimilate, you know, and then the other side is lampshades and, and soap. So I thought that was just a, a great aside uh, when talking about ethnicity and, and culture and tribe, you know, cause, cause that's, what's going to happen. You know, we're going into this, we already are in neo-feudalism. We already are in neo-warlordism culture. You know, uh, the Amish, they are ahead of us. The Mormons, they are ahead of us. The Jews are ahead of us. You know, we are the last group figuring out that everyone else is playing neo-feudalism and we don't have feudal lords. We don't have tribes. We don't have strongholds. We don't have enclaves. We don't have in-group protections, uh, institutions that are advocating on our behalf, uh, that are, um, you know. And so, you know, that this becomes a really great thing of like talking about tribe, you know, because the, the biggest attack against tribal Christian tribalism, Christian nationalism, is well, the church is, is multi-ethnic, bro. And it's like, yeah, it is. It is. And at the same time, it doesn't abrogate tribe. It doesn't abrogate ethnicity. And so we need to be very honoring. We need, you know, that's it. When you teach mission, missionary, missionaries to go into the little pygmy tribe in Africa, they go in with an honoring heart. They're not here to, ang uh, they're not here to Americanize the pygmies. They're here to, to sanctify them to Christianize them, to, to bring them into a relationship as pygmies to Christ. 
you know, and so it's the same for us as, as Anglo boys, you know, or Western Westerners, whatever our, our tribe, you know, cause we've, I, I think Anglo bro is, you know, we all speak in English, you know, and that's our common lingua franca. Our biggest thing right now is not the acceptance of every other culture and every other uh, in-group into our uh, daily lives. It's this cultivation of, I can love you and honor you. And if you're going to enclave, I can enclave. And if you're going to exclude me, I can exclude you. And if you're going to honor me, then I can honor you. And if you're going to respect me, I can respect you. And so a lot of, of churches are petrified of talking of race in any way that does not fit the civic nationalist multicultural worship box, right? And actually, once you start being honest about race, then everyone relaxes. Then everyone can enjoy each other. You know, when you can crack a joke about black guys, when you can crack a joke about Hispanic guys, when you can crack a joke about Anglo bros, then everyone's at rest because we know that we can put up boundaries against abuse, you know, because everyone else is going to have an in-group except us. And so how do we deal with abuses? Just love them, bro. Just, we've got to love them. And it's like, no, no, no. Like there's got to be mutual respect. There's got to be reciprocity. And then we can live together as Christians, you know, but it's like, I'm not going to live in the black neighborhood. I'm not going to live uh, in the Japanese neighborhood. And I'd be dishonoring them if I moved in and started doing white boy summer uh, while they're trying to have a, you know, nice Japanese existence. I would be dishonoring them, you know? unless they invited me in and I'm like, I'm willingly going to the Japanese neighborhood to become spiritually Japanese. Then there, I'm going to be the most popular guy in the neighborhood because they're like, look at this white guy speaking fluent Jap Japanese. Look at this white guy doing more idealistically Japanese than the rest of us. Send our kids to him to be taught the ways of ideal Japanese-ism. You know, that, that's, that's the beauty of being honest about race and being, being honoring about race. You know, in, in South Africa, when white boys speak fluent Zulu, dude, it's like, it's, it's the Zulus just, their minds explode and they're like, we love this white boy, marry all of our daughters. Like it's, it's because they're understanding this white guy has taken a, a position of respect, a position of honor to address them in their own tongue, address them in their own cultural mannerisms, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's the same for every culture. You know, if you, if you adopt another culture's manner, they will love you. You know, if you honor the host, they will love you and they'll keep inviting you back. In fact, they might even invite you to marry their daughter. <clears throat> Alrighty. Where are we here? DVG, I don't think that the big Ava pastors who are trying to be Kings will like yesterday's live stream very much since you ripped off the curtain to what's really happening. Yeah. It's, it'll help them. It's, it's ugly medicine. You know, when you realize that you have been a secret King and it, it'll help them, it'll either help them avoid being crucified as a priest down the line where they can actually step out and be like, okay, I'm a, I'm a King and I'm going to figure out the machinery where the church sanctifies my tribe and it's not my tribal machinery that it'll help them. You know, it's like learning you have cancer. It's like learning that the cocaine you've been living on is nice, but it's blowing your nose out. And so instead let's move on to using cocaine better. That's a bad analogy. You know, it's learning you're going to die if you don't stop this cocaine abuse. And it's like, wow, that was nice. But there's something, there's a different way. You know, and then the guys who, who, who are not kings, but have been enjoying kingship, for them to bump down and humble themselves and, and become priests, yeah, it'll, it'll be problematic for them. And that's fine. You know, it, it's, it's this whole thing of, of understanding a new, it's understanding a new direction for the West. You know, Western world has the Roman church has, uh, you know, controlled tribe for 2000 years. The Protestant church have controlled tribe for a hundred, a hundred years. And so they've, 
they're they're not yet so stuck where it's like the the West crumbling and devolving into warlordism and neo-feudalism. It's like here's your chance to correct your place, correct your uh, identity, correct your ministry. You know, ministry instead of being the king, I can you know for a lot of priests this is going to be freeing for them. You mean I don't have to be the king? You mean I can take off? I can take off the authority, the responsibility of trying to be king and I can just be a priest and someone else is going to be the king. Like that that's freeing for a lot of guys. But yeah, it definitely is. You know, it's it's ripping off the curtain to what's really happening. And it's it's hard for us guys who are not in ministry of like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's no more blaming. That's it. It's no more blaming the priests for their shortcomings. It's now it's on us. It's on us to crush in our domains and uh, and build build healthy tribe uh, while the priests bless us in doing it. Uh, wait a minute. It has become more in the realm of not getting along with Yankees that move in or city folks. Oh yeah, talking about talking about in group uh, in the states. Yeah, we have that concept in the states, especially in the south. Full on, man. You know, I th- I think the south has more of a semblance of tribalism more of a semblance of ethnic survival than do the Yankees, the, the urbanized uh, yuppies. So yeah, full on. DVG is so true. Amish, Mormons, Jews, etc. all already have internal tribal governance. We don't. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's where, you know, guys are going to start avoiding police. They're going to start avoiding court systems. And we're going to, you know, that is where the priests come in handy. You know, when a king, there's going to be new civil, civil governance within the tribe. And then there's going to be uh, church governance in the tribe, you know, and, and so there starts becoming things, you know, we, we all know well that that whole thing of don't go and sue a brother uh, in public when you should deal with it in the court, uh, in, in the church. Um, and I think that's going to start becoming the tribal norm as well. Uh, wait a minute. Basically, they don't honor our culture and they bring their customs and try to push them on us Southerners. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's that whole thing of like, why do you like it here? You know, so so for me as a South African coming to America, why do I like it here? There's peace. There's prosperity. There's law and order. There's uh, still a, a cultural Christianity uh, more than I've ever experienced. Uh, there's a there's my people like, wow, white people everywhere who all speak English. Like, this is amazing to me. And so for me, I'm like, I've got more to gain by being here than I do have by bringing my crap hole society with me that I came from. And so now we see with all these New Yorkers and Californians coming to, to the South or to the Rockies, what do they have to gain? Uh, is not as much as what they have to lose. You know, you lose Whole Foods. You lose, uh, you know, coming to a a conservative agrarian culture, well, now we have to have morality. Now we have to have self-dependence. Now we have to have neighborliness. Now we have to have manners. Now we have to buy a gun and be expected to take care of your own uh, security, uh, your own... um, you know, self-dependence is a still a huge part or, or responsibility, being responsible men, right? Whereas California and New York are so far soy boy future of what do you mean I can't buy it on Amazon and it arrives in 12 hours? What do you mean I can't go down to uh, Whole Foods and get my soy latte uh, with two shots of, of COVID vaccine in it? And so this this thing of comfort and futurism of responsible disconnected responsibility of expecting everyone else to do it for me. And I just swipe my card. That is a huge cultural barrier to coming into a, a small conservative agrarian town or society, you know? And we're like, I like it here cause it's cheap. I like it here cause it's a nice, they're nice. People are nice, but we're going to have to bloody ban guns and I'm going to have to introduce a soy latte to this place, you know? And they, they bring their, they, yeah, they bring their culture, which is, it's more painful for them losing their culture than it is gaining this nice community that they've moved to. DVG, instead, Big Ava puts everything into the public sphere, 
with any scandal, they now have secular auditors come in and tell us how to run churches. Yeah, that's that's so true, you know. You look at any um whenever they crucify the kings for being priests or they crucify the prophets for being priests or, or put it this way, any any Christian that in their tribe, because remember they're running the church as a tribe, but he's trying to be a king or he's trying to be in the media or he's trying to be in economy. They crucify him to the standards of a priest and they do it publicly. You know, they do it in, in public to say, look how virtuous we are. Look how clean and audit we run. Look how clean our priestly boys are. We don't accept this scum into our hierarchy. Uh, and that's why you get these guys who absolutely crush and they don't want anything to do with, with that type of church. You know, you, you look at guys who are just crushing in business or crushing in media or crushing in governance. And they don't want anything to do with church. They, they'll happily serve the Lord. You know, a lot of them are sincerely hungry for the Lord, sincerely desiring to please the Lord, to be a man who, like, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I don't want to look like that. I don't want to be with the priestly boys, you know, who, who are hypocrites in their own right, who are, are you know. So, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy thing. Rob, part of being a member of a tribe is understanding your decisions and behavior as an individual will have direct consequences to your being accepted or to your belonging in the tribe. Yeah. You know, it's, that's the, the big gap, the big debt that along a lot of us young guys carry. We don't know how to live in a tribe. You know, me being the first, we don't know how to live uh, with the responsibilities to a community. We, we don't know how to be tribe first. You know, um, growing up in a, in a rural farming area, you know, when there's a fire, a runaway fire, the whole community pitches up. When there's a farm attack, the whole community pitches up. And if you don't own a gun, you can't be the guy who pitches up. If you don't own a truck with a fire bowser on the back, you can't pitch up. And so it's understanding that there's certain expectations and costs to being a man who pitches up, who shows up when the community, when the tribe uh, is in danger, when the tribe needs uh, help, you know? So it's like, wow, it costs to be a man of value in the tribe. You know, that whole thing you always say, Rob, of, of he who does more is worth more, you know? And it's like, yeah, there's costs to be being able to do more for your people, you know? And, and obviously those are two very uh, practical, very concrete ways of helping your community, like being able to put out a fire or being able to be a first responder on a, uh, on a farm attack. Uh, there's, there's other ways, you know, there's again, what is your domain and are you using your domain? You know, so, so for instance, uh, the good doctor of the community of like, he's probably not going to arrive, be the first guy to arrive with a rifle, uh, and, and his bulletproof vest on, you know, and, and create a roadblock and, and make sure that, you know, whoever the attackers are, aren't going to get out of the community. Uh, you know, he's going to, he's maybe too valuable to, to be a first responder. It's like, you know, we're going to, if, if there's been an attack, we're taking the guy who was shot to the doctor, you know? So what is your, what is your domain? How do you crush for the good of the group? You know, and it doesn't have to look like what everyone else is doing, but are you, can you be confident in your contribution to the tribe? You know, and, and, and it's going to look different for a lot of guys. And, and so not to compare yourself, not to, not to be insecure, but to, but to be like, this is my point of insane value. Uh, and I'm going to contribute that to my tribe. That's how we start being like, we start getting over this libertarian individualism. We start getting over this effeminate comfort life, you know, because it's, it's comfortable to, to live in a city where you don't know your neighbor and you don't know you know, you have, because you don't know them, you have no responsibility to them. DPG, what aspects of tribe and culture do you appreciate about South African brotherhood? What do you miss? What would you blend in with American brotherhood? You know, I love, uh, I love the Afrikaners, uh, the agrarian Afrikaners, because you get urbanized liberal Afrikaners. And I love agrarian English because you get liberal urbanized English in South Africa. So, so I love the agrarian conservative, uh, hardworking, fun loving 
uh, culture. Um, I loved growing up in a rural area where, you know, everyone knows each other, everyone, uh, everyone's doing their own job, you know, take care of your own, take care of your own farm, take care of your own business. Uh, but when there's, when there's trouble, uh, the whole community arrives, you know, and, and, uh, growing up with, with three generations, you know, my, my grandfather knowing their grandfather, my dad knowing their dad, me knowing them. And then, you know, that, that, that kind of capital is just like, wow, that, you know, you take it for granted. You know, it's a wonderful thing to, to have that. So, so South Africa doesn't have the mobility, the economic zone mobility that America has. Guys don't, guys do pack up and move for jobs and, and, you know, move to different areas for jobs, but it's very much a, a, a rooted society. You know, if you grow up in this area, you'll generally stay in that area. So I, I like that aspect of, of South African culture. Uh, the next thing is the, the white population is so small there. There's, there's only, you know, 4 million, 5 million uh, English and about maybe 4 million Afrikaners. I mean, that was, that's probably even less now with, with everyone exiting and stuff. But, but compared to 50 million um, of all the other tribes and races, and so because you're only like 8% uh, of the population, there is a feeling of in-group of like, hey, another white person, you know, hey, uh, you know, e even amongst the liberals, you know, there is a, a form of in-group of, well, at least that's, that's another white person. Uh, but, but put it this way, with politics in South Africa, the whites all stick together and that's to our detriment because the parties are all super liberal. Um, what do I miss about South Africa? You feel alive in South Africa. I think, you know, there's so much danger. There's so much, uh, chaos and uncertainty that, you know, I think it's the same for American guys who go over to Afghanistan. You know, they felt alive there, uh, because you're, you're so primal. You're so close to death. You're so close to danger, you know, so you feel alive the priorities of life are different. So the, the priorities are far more family, far more uh, relationships and enjoying your life than they are uh, go out and make money, go out and, I mean, obviously go out and make money, but I mean, it's, it's not towards my own comfort. And uh, you know, here in America, there is no danger for, for a lot of people. There's no danger of, of being murdered in the street or hijacked or your house being broken into and uh, you know, farm, farm intrusions and things like that. You know, I'm not saying I miss that. Like, I love, this is what I love about America. Of Like, you know, wow, like peace. Like, I don't have to lock my door at night. Like, there'll be times where I forget to lock the door and we'll go away for a weekend and you'll come back and like, everything's still in your house. That would not be the case in South Africa. What would I blend in with American brotherhood? Tribalism, you know, an absolute, here's, here's my, here's my value from being in South Africa to coming here, you're like, oh crap, we're headed to what South Africa has. You know, if we don't change, you know, Americans are so innocent. They're so ignorant of multiculturalism. They're so ignorant of what happens with a white minority, of what happens with when one side is not allowed to have an in-group. When, uh, you know, so for me, I think what, what I'm bringing to America is tribal identity, tribal, tribal vision, uh, casting a positive vision uh, for tribalism uh, for America. You know, of like, hey guys, everyone else is gearing up for a tribal war. We ought to at least just make sure we can have a door that locks. Uh, D, welcome brother. What is your opinion on the mistreatment of the whites in South Africa? Will there be a genocide or civil war? And what will the solution be? So my opinion on the mistreatment of the whites is it's this, it's nothing new. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. One tribe, you know, uh, abuses another tribe, another tribe abuses them back. There's a blood feud uh, and, you know, scores get settled generation after generation after generation. And so that's nothing new. You know, it's, my, my opinion of the mistreatment of whites in America, in South Africa, in Europe, 
is that we don't know we don't we're so abused that we have stockholm syndrome you know instead of putting up instead of locking the door and saying no you're not allowed to abuse me you're not allowed to come on my property and abuse me um instead of locking the door uh we 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 remove the door you know like oh doors are, are evil take the door down you know and everyone can just come and go and everyone can just take what they want you know so that, that's my opinion on on mistreatment we're not victims we 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 cannot sink into victimhood of oh everyone hates white boys white boys are are we're the we're we're hated everyone hates us and it's like no 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 i'm not a victim the abuse stops when i stop taking it the the home invasions stop when i put up a door and i put a, a sign saying come through my door i shoot you you know that's that's when metaphorically on a metaphorical cultural level that's when it stops you know it's not when we genocide uh, the bankers it's not when we genocide the journalists it's when we stop letting them in we stop letting them control our lives you know it's that whole thing of like how do you sort out drug dealers it's like sure you can go shoot them but if we're all stay, still taking the drugs another drug dealer comes in you can shoot them but if we're all still taking the drugs another drug dealer comes in and until white boys stop punishing themselves and stop accepting the punishment of all the other tribes you can genocide another tribe have a civil war secede start a new country but until an, another tribe will just come in and abuse us another tribe will just come in and abuse us we've got to stop accepting punishment we've got to stop accepting uh self condemnation self punishment like oh we're so bad we're so evil yes send a million more migrants yes the woman must be in power yes we can cut off everyone's you know so so it all starts with us it starts with our own identity understanding that god loves us you know understanding that that we are forgiven that we are shameless that we are are uh you know loved by god and it's like okay we are sons of god too which means if all these other tribes claim to be christian then it's like chaps it's time for you to respect us it's time for you to love us it's time for you to show neighborliness to us and and we can meet halfway and be respectful um will there be a genocide or civil war there's 50 murders a day in south africa now obviously a lot of them black on black the tribes are killing each other uh <clears throat> and then obviously when whites get in the way and and whites are obviously um the the wealthier uh culture and so they get stolen from and 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 that kind of thing and and a lot of that is violently so will there be a genocide uh it's it's a it's a state of violence it's a state of murder and and uh and violation uh civil war on you know 191990 there was almost uh, there was almost almost a, a military reaction to the to the changeover between Afrikaner and uh, black nationalists african nationalists and it never happened and that was when uh, the afrikaners were at their height they were at their most powerful you know and every every 3 months for the last 30 years you know guys are like okay it's time to roll and then they don't roll okay it's time to roll and they don't roll and so you know do i think there'll be a civil war i think there'll just be a i think the afrikaners are going to end up being like the amish and the jews and the indians where south africa just absolutely just rodesias and they are just left with their little pockets floating uh, as the wreckage goes down around them and there'll be enclaves and there'll be there'll be bubbles of civilization uh, within the wreckage and then of course now you you add the chinese into that the chinese are the new colonizers um of africa and so the the i think for me more than civil war more than genocide is for the afrikaners how are they going to deal with the with a superior china you know with a more powerful china how are they going to bargain are they going to are the chinese going to like the the afrikaners being farmers are they going to like them being stabilizers um and other afrikaners going to bargain well with their new chinese uh overlords you know other are, are they going to be like the amish where the overlords are just like yeah it's you guys can do what you want to do around here we'll just leave you alone you leave us alone you know is it going to be like that so it's it's fascinating what will the solution be yeah you know the solution is 
the solution is is moral and economic. You know, there is no political solution for us. If the Afrikaners decide to to fight tomorrow, the whole force of the UN uh, comes comes against them. America will go and and fight uh, to liberate the poor blacks who are are victims. Um, when all the Afrikaners want is a piece of desert to have their own little their own little uh, peace. All they want is to live in peace. You know, their own little Lesotho or whatever. So, so, so the solution is not political. It's moral and economic. Rob, imagine the fear being lifted from the hearts of men if they have confidence in the knowledge that their families will be taken care of by the tribe if something happens to him. Dude, huge, huge in-group. You know, that's why, that's why the Jews are so bold. That's why the Muslims are so bold. That's why the, the, the Amish uh, and the Mormons are so confident. Because it's like I'm part of something bigger than myself. And how do I become an absolute legend? By giving my life for the tribe, knowing that my family are, are going to be well looked after and, and I'm going to be a legend in the memory and mythology of my tribe. Wait a minute. Agree. Many whites in America have enabled this mistreatment. Yeah. You know, and that's it. It's how does abuse, you know, it's that whole thing of like abuse of wives of like, it's not to kill your husband. It's to, it's to leave and put up or to put up boundaries, you know, that kind of thing of like, I will not be abused because if she kills the guy, well, guess who's moving in next week? Another abuser. And if she kills him, guess who's moving in next week? Another abuser. It's like, it's not the abuse. The abuser is just giving you what you want, which is self-punishment, self-harm. You know, we've got to stop self-harming ourselves. We've got to stop abusing ourselves. DVG, these tribes have huge political lobbying arms too. Yeah, you know, that is the that is the the extension of guys who are not warriors. They're not on the ground hard operators. They're like, oh, well, I'm a lawyer and I'm a media head and I'm a finance guy. Like, how do I contribute to the tribe? You know, you create a super huge, you create a political action committee, you create a um uh NGOs and, and uh, you know, all of these nonprofit organizations and you create, you know, you create narrative and you create all this stuff. It's great. You know, so I don't want to, I don't want to black pill uh, on South Africa. I don't want to black pill on America. I'm super hopeful, chaps. I am, I for one, welcome our neo-feudalist warlord society. You know, I think there's a, a huge freedom that comes uh, with a bit of hard times you know, of, of patriarchal, it's that whole thing of in good times, you know, this feminine society, this feminist society is like, we don't need men. Men are stupid. Men are terrible, you know, and, and it's a huge comfortable society. And it's like, okay, like now the boat's starting to rock, you know, and some water and some storms are happening. And it's like, we need men, we need patriarchs, you know, and there's going to start becoming a call for strong men. And all, all it takes is, is, you know, you look at Donald, all it took was telling the truth. You look at some of these pastors who people are flocking to, all it took was saying, I'm happy to be arrested. And boom, they get arrested, they get let out, boom, their church is swelled by like 2,000%. Because it's like, we are now looking for strong men. We are now looking for patriarchs, you know, because people are understanding the times that we are in. And so this is a huge white pill for us, guys. It's like, there's never been a better time to be a, a man with, with strength, with honor, with, uh, with courage, with mastery. It's like, now is the time for us to, to become ascendant culturally. You know, it's exciting times. We are the pioneers. We are the refounding fathers uh, that our forward generations are going to look back and write stories about. And, uh, you know, the, the, the absolute honor it is for us uh, to be the men who get this ball rolling. Uh, Andrew Quinn, welcome, brother. White South Africans will plant their flag in the Northern Cape. Yeah, for sure, you know, and... I'm excited there as well. Like, like I say, you know, this pan-Africanist UN, you know, the UN has held together Africa, post-colonial Africa. Like, you know, Africa is such a, it's such a sunken ship. <laughs> the UN is holding it up. Little white air bubble is holding it up in South Africa. It's like, you know, the moment the UN folds, the moment this global hobo empire empire folds africa is going to become the wild west and the afrikaners are just going to be like 
well, obviously the, the Chinese are going to ride in, uh, but I believe the Afrikaners will be able to carve out their own little place and be like, hey, like you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. Peace, good, great, awesome. And so I'm, I'm excited for the Afrikaners. Uh, likewise, I'm excited for, for strong men all, all across the Anglosphere, you know, because there's this great, yep, we can create our own homesteads there. Yeah, you know, Andrew, I, I laugh with a bunch of the Afrikaans guys. Windpump uh, nationalisme. You know, this, this thing of none of the other tribes can survive uh, in the Northern Cape uh, in, you know, parts of the free state, parts of the Western Cape, because they, they, they can't grow anything there without uh, Western technology, without Western skill and wisdom. Should the tribe not be bigger? Commies still recognize and support each other. They are a global super tribe dominating at the moment yeah you know and that's it for me with with this anglosphere with with the western world of i think we have to we have to uh you know that's what, what i see with myself of like you know where i'm i'm fighting in in america which is the biggest battleground cultural cultural battleground uh there are certain key you know taking russia was was the main hinge point for communism. If Russia, if the Bolsheviks never succeeded in 1917, communism would still be a fringe movement like libertarianism. But the, they took a key, they took a key state mechanism over and used it for the next 50 years as a, as a machine, as a bludgeon uh, to, to absolutely yeah, create international communism. But without it, there were nothing. And so, so it is with, with patriarchal dominionism, with, with Anglo futurism, with Anglo uh, Westernism, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you call white Protestant civilization, Christendom, Christendom, uh, you know, uh, Western Christendom, because obviously, you know, all the other ethnicities will have their own Christendom. But for Western Christendom, you know, we have to understand that a lot hinges on post-American machinery post british machinery you know so it's understanding that there's going to be there's going to be certain tribes who then enable this this bigger you know international communism uh, but it rested on russia which is now it's now resting on dc right all the all the communists some you know they all say the nazis fled uh, germany and went down to brazil and argentina and you know it's like yeah the commies fled the Eastern Bloc, and now they're all they're 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 all in the academy. They're all in Hollywood. They're all in DC. You know, we're basically spiritually uh, the continuation of the USSR uh, in America, just through slightly different uh, means. You know, a slightly different cultural expression. Uh, DBG, no reason why this tribe we are creating here can't have outposts in various countries. The Rothschilds had bases in five countries. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's it. It's understanding that we are a we are a, a network. You know, we are a, and it, it's it's we're not alone. You know, God is stirring up tribalism. He's stirring up uh, kings who will create tribes again, and Christendom relies on strong kings. You know, it's it's no. It's no uh, mistake uh, that God chose the Roman Empire as the time epoch, as the kingdom with which to spread, for which the gospel could spread. Uh, you know, it was, a, it, was, it was using, it was like, what tribe can we sanctify? Oh, this empire of Rome, we're going to sanctify this tribe. You know, and that's why Jesus said, I'm not here to create a political revolution, because he understood the role was to sanctify the men who were in government, sanctify the men who were in media, sanctify the men who were in economy and, and business. You know, a lot of guys are like, oh, Christ didn't come to create a new political system or whatever. And it's like, so politics is abolished. It's like, well, he also didn't come to create a new uh, business system. You know, he didn't come to be like, right, chaps, the way to do business now is to have uh, is to make 5,000 liters of wine out of magic. And now you've got a, a Ponzi scheme. You know, it's like he didn't abolish business. He didn't abolish media. He didn't abolish government. He just said that all the men in it are now following Christ, are now looking like Christ, are now in fealty 
to Christ. <clears throat> what was my point with all of this? Oh, yes, the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was sanctified, you know, stretching across, across, you know, the, the known world, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's a thing for us of like, you know, we, we had, you know, 200 years of Anglo Pax, Pax Britannia, Pax Americana, you know, and now, you know, obviously the, the Chinese uh, empire is ascendant, uh, but, but that's shaky. You know, we don't know if there'll be, if there'll be a challenge to that and, and what the future of, of post, of post, you don't want to say post-Christian America, but, but of, of, of communist America, you know, what is the future once this falls? You know, so it's interesting. DPG, uh, that way they always had a place to do business, a place to win, a place to flee using national laws to their purposes. Yeah, really good. Talking about the Rothschilds having bases in, in five countries. Uh, and pulling strings, you know, they had they had their NGOs and they had their placed people and their secret societies and and their money um, power. Uh, Andrew Quinn, hundred uh, percent. They understood that having control of the money supply would transcend countries, borders, and laws. The way we defeat them is by using our own currency and spending it back to our own. Yeah, exactly that. It's it's understanding that having control of the money supply transcends countries, borders, and laws. And that's why we say economy, morality. It's, it's not a political solution. It's an economic and moral solution. It's a tribal economic moral solution. You know, so good. All righty, chaps. I think that was a, a wonderful day. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, a bunch of these um, a bunch of these topics as well. It's really great. Uh, and so just to encourage you guys, you know, when diagnosing, you know, it's like going to the doctor and saying, Doc, what's wrong? Tell me straight. <laughs> He's like, well, buddy, you're bleeding out of your... Right ventricle. I don't even know what a right ventricle is, but you're bleeding out of it. And it's like, oh, crap, doctor. That's the worst news I've heard all day. And he's like, that's right. But here's the answer. And, and we get hope, you know. So we've got the answers, chaps. You know, we've got the answers. There's hope. So like, yes, there's problems. But we've got hope. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting times to be alive. <clears throat> Love you, brothers. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow at four o'clock. Um, yeah, it, and we'll we'll carry on. You know, obviously, I'll have my own topics. I'll have my own things I'm chatting about. But uh, if you guys ever just you know have a random thought in the shower or while you're driving and and think it'll be a great thing to talk about, you know, just write it down and and pop it on the on the chat and and we'll we'll have a have a good chat together. But I really appreciate you guys and and have a great Thursday. I'm gonna go eat some meat. God bless you, boys.